afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Oh, we already have somebody who's joining us. Um, I think that sometimes it goes live a couple of seconds now before it shows me it's going live because that that popped up instantly. So um, Shana Rendles, thank you. And um, she says hi to you. So I appreciate her joining us today. This is hashtag. Hi, this is Hashtag No Limits, and I am your host, Shelly Kino. And Hashtag No Limits is about people that society has placed limits on, but who have bust through those limits. And I have seen that happen over and over again as a special education teacher and now as a master IEP coach and educational consultant. Um, so I think that what Ophelia says in Hamlet is 100% true, which is we know who we are, but not who we will be. And I think that there is no better example of that than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. I mean, who would have thought, you know, this crawly, creepy thing on the ground would suddenly one day be flying up in the air. So um, just like that caterpillar turning into the butterfly, we often have to struggle. Um, it has to struggle to, it dissolves literally into nothing and then reforms as the butterfly and then struggles to get out of the cocoon to have strong enough wings to fly. And that isn't easy but neither is busting through limits that society has placed upon people. And today joining me is Amanda Garrity, and I so appreciate her joining me. She has a very interesting story, and I'm so glad that she is joining me and is going to share her story with us. So welcome, Amanda. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Sure. Um, I am um, married with three sons. Um, my husband um, has uh, graciously um, stopped his career to stay home with our three kids. I have wow. a um, almost 18-year-old who is on the lower side of the autism spectrum. I have a uh, almost 12-year-old who is unfortunately on the uh, on the most severe side of the cerebral palsy spectrum. And then I have a neuro neurotypical son who just turned 10 last week, who is actually my biggest handful. Yeah, and I, I find that to be so interesting. And it was, um, I was just in a thread the other day of a whole group of special education parents, and they were commenting how they are struggling more with their neurotypical children lately than with their non-neurotypical children. So, so tell us a little bit about your almost 18-year-old. So um, my son, um, Joe, he actually, uh, he is not my biological son. He was my husband's from a previous relationship. And so, it, you know, interesting, I only share that to share the fact that I had no experience with special needs kids and, um, until I met my husband and, and his son, Joe, our son now. And Joey was um, um, five, he was five and a half and um, nonverbal and, and very, very low on the autism spectrum. But um, we had an instant connection and um, I learned a lot and still do from Joey and I learned a lot about autism in, in through the process of, of raising him. Uh, I adopted him and he has been um, obviously my son as much as my two biological children, you know, for 13 years. And he is just a um, super laid back, uh, very, uh, very special in every sense of the word kid who Shelly, like you said, has busted through so many limits um, in his lifetime, just, just, just by sheerly less letting him know that we knew he could do something and he has just really flourished. I, I need to also give a shout out to, 
um, his school district, Port Dumont West School District. We have been just so lucky, um, the support that we've gotten from his school district and in particular his teacher, Mrs. Jones and um, principal, Mrs. Hall. They, they've just been fantastic. And that's been all the way through um, his school career. Now he's obviously in high school and he's almost done. So we are you know, having the conversations about what, what does life look like for Joe after high school, which is pretty overwhelming and um, stressful but they've been awesome through all of it. That's, that's so, so awesome to hear um, because that's not the case everywhere. And that, that breaks my heart as a former special education teacher that, you know, um, as special educators, as, as educators in general, that we are not open um, all across the country to mm -hmm. educating whoever is sitting in the desks in our classroom. And so to hear that it's not just a teacher, but also administration. Um, that's amazing as well, because oftentimes you, you could have a teacher who is all about the individual student, and then you'll have their district telling them, you know, you have to do this, or you have to say that, or don't say that, or don't do this. And then those teachers feel stuck because they want to keep their jobs, yeah. but they want to help the students in their classroom. Well, in fairness to the, to, at least from what I've seen for, through the school district, I also think there is a another side to that from the school district's perspective of being so scared to push too hard um, or, or do something wrong and upset the parents that mm -hmm. the more you can communicate with them that, that what you expect or what you want to have happen with your child, if they are a supportive school district, school district like Joey's, they will, it will go a lot smoother. So early on, you know, we shared with them that, hey, we are the parents who put expectations on Joe. We know he can do things. And we want you to push him. Not so far that he, you know, melts down. Sure. But he's a kid who likes to work. He likes to be pushed. So don't be afraid to push him. And once we gave them that permission, if you will, it's really opened up. But I think the key was being very communicative with each other when we saw things like him doing something he hadn't done before or having an accomplishment that he had not accomplished before. Um, but both parties have to be open. That That is something that I've learned through, you know, both my experience with Joe and my middle son, Quinn, is that, it, it, and sometimes that's very hard to do. Sometimes you have to communicate or say things that um, are pretty direct, um, but it's it's advocating for your child. And as long as everyone understands that, then hopefully they understand that it's, it's not personal in that way. It's certainly personal for them, but you're just doing what you're supposed to do as a parent and advocating for your, your child. Yeah, and, and that is so incredibly important. That is probably the most important aspect of the IEP team, um, the Individualized with Education Program team, is that relationship maintains goodness. Um, that you are all supposed to be there to, for that one student. You know, it, it isn't supposed to be an us versus them type of situation. And so to find that and to build that rapport with one another and then that trust and the communication. Oh my gosh, yes, having that communication. And, and for those of you that are watching that are parents of a child with special needs and you're feeling that you can't trust your school team or you can't trust your schools um, in general, I just want to put that out there to you. Have you communicated to them your exact wants and desires? And, and like Amanda said, you know, telling them, hey, it's okay to push my child a little bit. 
you know, um, it's, or, it, you know, don't do this or do this because a lot of times teachers don't know, um, especially, you know, the first time they're ever meeting your child, whether they are a brand new teacher or a veteran teacher. So absolutely reach out to your teachers, to your, your IEP team and communicate your desires for your child to them. And I just wanted to say, um, for those of you who are watching, if you would do me a favor and just, we've had a couple of people say hi, um, but if you would let us know where you're watching from, if you're watching this on replay or if you're watching this live, if you just wanna put hashtag replay or hashtag live, or you just wanna say hi, um, that helps with the algorithm and helps get this seen by more people. And that's the goal of this program is to help change the world's perspective of people with special needs and have us change our mindset so we're not setting these limits. So sorry about that, Amanda. That was oh, no, that's good. business sidetrack. <laughs> yeah, right, important. So, yeah, so so yeah, the communication is what we were talking about with your oldest son, Joe. So tell me some of the things that, um, it sounds like you've had a really good experience, but I'm sure there have been those unfortunate times as well. Mm -hmm. I would say um, the more unfortunate experiences have probably been more with Quinn than Joe because Quinn is um, so severe on the cerebral palsy spectrum and well, you know, one challenge that I think we've definitely had is we've been in two different school districts the, through the kids' school age. And one school district was really great for one of them and not so great for the other. So there's a little bit of a balance there in terms of uh, how, how do you decide which school district, which child is going to benefit and which one's going to struggle, for lack of right. a better term, yeah. which is one of the reasons we moved from one district to the Fort Zumwalt school district because uh for Quinn I ironically Joey performed fantastically for Zumwalt so we're really lucky oh, but I think one of the challenges we've had in general regardless of school districts with Quinn is that his medical needs are so intense um and I, I just don't think that the school district has had much experience any either any either school district that we've been in with kids as fragile as Quinn and also completely nonverbal in a wheelchair, no use of, of limbs or arms, um, really only communicates with eyes, you know, has a trach, so no no verbalization really at all. I mean, if you think about that, for those of us who are, had neurotypical children, right. you know, when they don't feel well, they can tell you they don't feel well. When they're in trouble, they can scream or come get you. Quinn can't do any of those things. So he needs constant eyes on him. Um, right. And I just... So one of the struggles that we had early on was with a, a nurse, a, a school nurse who just, she called me every day and said, oh, Quinn doesn't seem himself. You need to come get him. Quinn doesn't seem himself. You need to come get him. And there wouldn't be anything wrong with him. I would, um, I would, uh, I would take him right to the doctor and then they'd say, no, he's fine. And then try to bring him back to school and they wouldn't take him back. Like they'd say, well, he had a temperature right. of 99, so he can't come back. Um, and we kind of went back and forth with the school on that. And I, I just think, you know, what that was one of the challenges where it was obvious they didn't really know what to do or how to handle it. And, you know, short of making an accusation, I was saying, you can't just send him home because you don't want to deal with right. his conditions, which is what was happening, in my opinion. Um, and ultimately, we went back and forth on that for a whole year. And then ultimately, we moved school districts. And that, that problem was solved. Um, but... That was one of the bigger challenges that I would say we had um, we had early on with Quinn, um, and we're having some now just because he's in middle school 
So it's a whole new staff getting used to him. Whereas the staff at Osman Elementary, where he went to school, was knew him very well and was just fantastic. This the staff is they're just getting used to him. And again, I don't know that they've seen a kid um, as fragile as Quinn. So there's a lot of back and forth. Again, back to that communication. There's a lot of communication we're doing in terms of being very specific about really why Quinn is at school, right? He he's honestly not there for the academics. He is there for the therapies. He is there to be around other kids. So um, so we're having to set some clearer expectations in terms of why he's in school and when he misses school, what what we, you know, how we feel about the makeup work, for example. And 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 there's just there's a lot of back and forth. And but it's good positive back and forth. Um, but again, good. back to the communication being so important, that's where it's becoming very important is, is trying to set the expectations of where we're coming from, where they're coming from, and trying to find a, a compromise. Um, and, and also to avoid any bigger, any bigger like disagreements or things that can be avoided if, if you're, if you're communicating back and forth. So that's one. Um, I'm trying to think we had some challenges, uh, with Joey's some behaviors that Joey had early on, um, early on in his life, that where the school kind of had a zero tolerance policy for some of the things that he was doing, and um, they were good about it. They they were good about it, but they were very clear that that there was a zero tolerance policy. So we just had to work with together once again. We had to work together to try to figure out why the behaviors were happening and get them to stop. And we were able to accomplish that. And then the biggest challenge I would say that we've had with both kids um, is, is it had nothing to do with the school, but it has to do with the thing, something you said earlier, which was is um, society's view of them. So early on um, in the summer, we took, we used to take the two, the two, the two um, special needs boys, our two special needs boys, and our neurotypical son to a daycare. And she, it was a home daycare and she is awesome, still is awesome. And unfortunately, um, some of these behaviors that Joey was doing, one of the other parents witnessed and immediately threatened the lady who owned the daycare to pull her kids out because she didn't want um, them around Joey, even though the behaviors that Joey was doing were only towards adults and really had not, nothing to do with children. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a tough one because I, I know that the, the home daycare owner felt she loved our kids and she didn't want to make that choice. And then I had to look at it from both sides of it as a mother and trying to understand those feelings, which I certainly can as a mother. And then as a, and then as a special needs mother, um, and basically trying to say, you're running a business, make the choice. It's okay. I will keep my, I will keep my neurotypical child here, but don't risk your whole business you know, on, on this, even though she wanted to, I mean, which is, you know, one of those polarizing right. situations you've, you face in society where somebody really wants to stand up almost at all costs for your child, which you really, to say you appreciate would be an understatement, but you don't want them to, to, to risk their own livelihoods. And you just wish that I did make the offer at this time. Like if this mom would like to talk to me, I'll educate her completely on autism and, and what it is, answer any questions she may have and assure her that, that her kids are not in any danger. Um, and of course she didn't choose to do that. And that is the hard part. That is, 
that yeah. is that prejudice is really hard to overcome. Ironically, this mom's daughter was one of the ones that was so like sweet with Quinn, like just had a heart for for oh. special needs kids. It was really ironic that the mom reacted that way and her daughter just was like so sweet um with the kids, but that's something that we face a lot. And then and then the other thing I would say we face a lot that most special needs families probably face a lot is just the, the isolation, just the, um, uh, and it's not a personal thing. It's, it's, I know it's not a personal thing. We know it's not a personal thing, but you know, we don't get asked to do things as a family with other families a lot. And I think the main reason is because they don't want to inconvenience us. So they feel like it would be an inconvenience and our kids, you know, are not on the same wavelength. And mm -hmm. so, and people don't know what to say and they don't know how to act. And so you just kind of end up on an island <laughs> and um, you just kind of learn to deal with it. Yeah. And I think that that is a feeling, like you said, that probably all families with special needs feel um, because it seems like everybody that I've ever spoken to, um, whether it was someone that I've had on hashtag no limits, whether it's Fran from Friday with Fran, whether it's families that I interviewed for my book, um, it, that seems to be the case. And I, and my advice to anyone who is watching that does not have a child with special needs, but you have friends or family who have a child with special needs, give them the opportunity to say no, thank you, but invite them. Don't assume that they don't want to come or that it's going to be an inconvenience or it's going to be a problem because it will mean so much to them to have that invitation and be able to have the option to say no than to never even know that you wanted them there. Yeah. You know, you know, something else that means a ton, I think, to special needs families as well is um, most special needs families. Shelly, I'd be interested in your opinion on this since you have such a longstanding experience with special needs kids and families. Most special needs families are somewhat open about their children because they have IEPs and I mean, they almost, you almost don't have a choice if you're doing it right. You're, you're talking about your children a lot. Right. Um, uh, and if you don't have experience with special needs kids, whether you're a family member or a close friend or even an acquaintance, ask questions. They'll, they'll educate you. They, I think for me, you know, I really appreciate it when someone in my family or close friends makes the effort to at least learn a little bit about the conditions, you know, um, I hate to even use the word condition, but about no, the diagnosis, I'll call it that my kids have and ask me questions. It just, it shows that you at least care and are interested in trying to comprehend. No, no one, I don't think if you don't live this every day, you can't really completely understand, but you can make an effort to attempt to comprehend. Right. And yeah, I, I think that's been the, the experience of all the families that I've worked with. And, um, and I, and I have a couple of, of different family members that have special needs as well. And, and I, I do have a better understanding because I have worked in special education, but I still don't know everything. And again, <laughs> that goes back to the book. And I told you, I wasn't necessarily going to promote the book today, but <laughs> sometimes it just blends into the conversation. Well, but um, the, one of the main reasons I wanted to write the book, Those Who Can't Teach, is because I had, a, I thought, a pretty good idea, having worked and, and worked very closely with several families for a dozen years or more, of what it was like being in your shoes compared to being in my shoes. And 
when I started interviewing them for the book, I found out that I still just had a tip of the iceberg understanding of the thought processes and the, the activities and the experiences and the just everything. Um, but yeah, I, I think every family that I talk to for the book, every family that I've ever worked with is, is open um, to have somebody ask them questions, not ask the child the questions, but ask the parent, you know, and then um, if it's, if it's, if it's okay, or if it's right, I'm not sure what the term, the good terminology would be for this, but then you can include the child, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and there's a story in the book where uh, one of the, the uh, James was at a family gathering and he was stimming. And for those of you who don't know what stimming is, it's a way for somebody to get some sensory input. And there are probably as many ways to stim as there are people who need to do it. And, um, and so at a family gathering, um, there was quite a bit of an age difference between the person who was doing it and the young cousin who asked him. Um, but the, the boy who was doing the stimming didn't even realize he was doing it and he couldn't explain why he was doing it. Mm -hmm. And it was a true curiosity from the young, much younger cousin. Um, but had he gone and asked James's mother instead of asking mm -hmm. James, then his mom could have explained it. And, you know, to a four or five-year-old, whoever, I can't remember how old the person was that was asking, but um, so yeah, again, you know, if you're watching and you don't have those experiences, ask the parents um, because they are willing to explain because if they're explaining, that means you're open and you're wanting to welcome their child into your life. And they're wanting, you're wanting to welcome their family. And again, that's, that's what they're, I think, is probably like you said, it's, you know, there's one in 26 families in the United States who have at least one member with special needs, but yet every family I speak to that has a person with special needs feels alone and on that island, like you talked about. Yeah, I do want to say because Quinn's um, nurse, Melinda, just jumped on, I see that uh, we absolutely feel isolated and, and we are an, an, on an island, but we have some really special people on the island with us like her. So That's we, awesome. we are, we certainly are, we have an island. It has people on it. We're one of the lucky, we're a very blessed family for that. We have a fantastic village that we've built over time of family and close friends. And, and um, uh, not everybody has that. So that, that's the other thing that I, I would say, if I had to, if I, if I had to give one piece of advice to parents of special needs kids who are going through and advocating for their kid in any way, <clears throat> but especially in the, the way of school, I would say two things. And I hope, Shelly, you don't get offended by this. One is the person sitting in front of you going through the IEP, they may have a master's degree in special education. They may have a PhD in special education, but they do not have a PhD in your child. You do. Absolutely. You have a PhD or a master's degree in your child, and you Absolutely. know more than anyone what your child needs. And the other thing is in line with that is to take the victor over victim mentality, both for you and your child. There is nothing ever wrong. Even if you're not a person that speaks up in your life normally, those, your kids, really regardless of their abilities, that's your main job is to advocate for them. But when you have a special needs kids who are limited verbally, and maybe they're not limited verbally, but they're limited by how they feel or or, or wh where they are on a spectrum 
or what their physical abilities are, that's, you know, you are their main advocate in life. So even if you're not a person who is assertive and you can probably tell I am an assertive person. So that helps. Um, (laughs) That's your, but that's, you know, that is your job. And, and if people take it personally, so be it. I mean, you're just doing what, what your child needs you to do. Right. No. And I do not take offense at that at all. And, and I, not only does that count for us as teachers or us in the school setting, but if you're watching and you're in the medical profession. Yeah. Medical is another one. That's, that's, um, a, that's a great point. As I mentioned, Quinn is in the hospital right now. And Melinda would tell you that he goes to the hospital about every month and a half to two months, unfortunately. And we've gotten really good at advocating and that's a very, I, that's a great point because sometimes you have to advocate harder with the healthcare workers because, you know, they see this so much that they have this tendency to be like, well, we see this all the time and you just know there's something not right. And Melinda, she will push us sometimes to say, this is not right. This is not right. And we will, you know, advocate harder for something that, that uh, Quinn needs. Um, um, Joey is not med- medically, he never gets sick. He's not medically fragile. So we don't have to do the same thing with him. But um, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. And I've, I've often heard from parents who have medically complex children that they get their doctorate degree the hard way. Yeah. You know, they, they live it every minute of every day for their life. Um, mm-hmm. And that was something um, <laughs> that was something that was said to me by one of the parents that I interviewed for the book was when, when she was given the diagnosis of her daughter, it was just very, matter of fact and mm-hmm. um, cold yeah for and she said what that team that told her that diagnosis didn't realize was to them it was a diagnosis they had an answer mm-hmm. to a question to her it was a this is going to affect you for every second of your for life, your life. Yep. for the rest of your life yeah and and everything know, that you do and everything that you do is right. is different. Yeah. Right. And I just, I wanted to point out, Michael said, it seems children were always willing to ask, but adults were always fearful of asking questions. And yeah, I don't know if that's because we think, I think it's because it's, we're uncomfortable, you know, because we don't know, we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings and, Mm -hmm. but we don't realize that by not asking those questions, we are hurting somebody's feelings because of how that's interpreted. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, so tell me some of the things about some more things about Quinn. Um, cause I know when we talked ahead of time, just to kind of get to know each other, cause I, prior to this, um, talking with Amanda prior to this day, I had never met her. So, um, so I always try to talk to my guests and get a little bit of kind of background information. And so one of the things we talked about, and you did mention it was that, um, his ways to communicate. Mm-hmm. So, um, does he have a communication device or does he just use eyes at this point? Yeah. We're struggling with that. We're um, because he has no motor functions. He he has no way to use like Joey uses an iPad with ProLoquo because he has the motor functions to to point and press buttons. Quinn doesn't have that ability, um, so that's something right now that we're we're working. We're trying to work with the school on. They're trying to work with us on. Um, also, he has uh, he's blind. He's legally blind, and his eyes move. So the devices where you would train your eyes on, on like a letter and spell out a word so far don't seem to work for him. So right now 
were experimenting with switches, the big, the big red uh -huh. switch buttons on either side of his head. And right now it's like, yes or no questions. Um, or, you know, if you want to go here, press this one. If you want to go here, press this one. And I'll say, I want to go here. Or I want to go here. Um, the, uh, if you know him, I think most people who know him would tell you that he has a, a he communi he can communicate if you know him. He will, if you hold up two videos of his favorite Sid the Science Kid or um, Caillou, he will look and smile at which one he wants to watch. Big smiles is mainly how he communicates what he wants if you give him choices. Um, and then, like I said, if you know him, he's always happy. So if he doesn't feel well, you can tell because he's not happy. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he's... Uh, so after you know him for a while, you you learn him and you can communicate with him. But if you don't, it's a it's a challenge. He has we're we're still trying to figure out that uh, communication, um, uh, um, and and that's going to be ongoing. Yeah, you said something in there, and I don't even know if you realized how important the two words were that you said. You said that if you learn him, yeah. And that is so true for every student that I've ever worked with. And I'm sure for every individual. Um, and, and honestly, it really is for every individual because we all have our, our little things that communicate, that communicate without words. Um, you know, we all have eye expressions. We all have facial expressions. You know, we all have body movements. Um, and so to learn him, that, that is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to everyone, you know, whether mm -hmm. they're, whether they're a classmate, a teacher, a friend, a family member, um, a therapist, a nurse, um, whatever mm -hmm. it is, mm -hmm. um, that, yeah, that we learn our students, mm -hmm. um, because that's just, yeah, wow. <laughs> and that's, and that's really why, you know, back to Joey's experience. That's why Joey's experience has been so good is because all along the way, his teacher um, and, the, and, the, and the administrative staff have learned him. Like they have been interested in learning him and they almost know him better at this point than my husband and I do. I mean, they really know him and understand him just instinctively at this point. And his teacher in high school, Mrs. Jones, from the minute he walked in her classroom for orientation has shown an interest and in really, really knowing him. And that's, and, and, that's awesome. and then in turn, he really wants to know her and he really right. knows her and they have a thing. I mean, and in, in, in an appropriate way, of course, but I mean, <laughs> they are, they are, and he's kind of always been that way with, she's probably been the best, but we, he has had some other just fantastic teachers and support that, that, uh, have also just really made the effort to know him. Quinn's elementary staff was the same way. They, they really, now with Quinn, I think one big life-changing thing that happened with Quinn was the addition of a nurse. And when Quinn got a trach, then we, then he has to have a nurse that goes to school with him every day or he can't go. Um, and we've been lucky and blessed enough to have the same nurse, Melinda, for, for a long time, who obviously really knows him, his best friend. And, um, so pretty life-changing when she came into the picture, again, really made the effort to know and learn him. 
and then helped the staff know and learn him, right? This was another advocate for him all day, every day with the staff and encouraging them to get to know him and learn him. Um, and that was pretty life-changing. I realize everyone doesn't have that, doesn't have that uh, possibility, but that was for him, that was a game changer. Yeah, and I just wanna to speak to that for a second because there could be people watching right now that didn't know or don't know that nursing, nurse care can actually be written into an IEP, that that is, a, that is considered a related service if it's necessary, if the team agrees that that is necessary. So um, I, how, how did you go about making that happen? Would you have tips or any advice to give to somebody who might be in that spot right now? Yeah, so um, again, probably lucky in terms of when Quinn was in the hospital and they told us he needed a trach, they gave us the choice whether or not we wanted to to put give him a trach. Um, and when we asked the question, what happens if we don't? They said, no judgment um, uh, at all in this answer. This is just the answer to your question. He will pass away at some point and we can't say when without that support. So obviously we heard that and there was no question. Okay, we're gonna right. put a trach in. Right. Once you get something like a trach and it, especially when it's not temporary, which this is not, um, then immediately they brought in social services into the room to, to ask us some questions about our insurance coverage and um, whether or not our insurance covered private duty nursing and then help us through the process of getting um getting done what is necessary to get done to get that private duty nursing for us it was a waiver because most insurances don't cover private duty nursing but medicaid or a waiver will so for us it was getting connected to the right people to get the waiver for quinn it's called lopez waiver in missouri and that um that basically takes away the income requirement for medicaid but in missouri it does so Okay. Um, we, we didn't qualify. We, we have spent all, our whole time um, that Quinn has been on the earth and Joe, we have spent being told no because of my income level. So once we, um, once we um, found this waiver, um, then that, that takes that out of it and that pays for the private duty nursing. And then the hospital actually um, got kind of got us hooked up with our first nursing agency. And we, when we came home after three or four weeks of him in the hospital, they were there in the weekend. Um, that's kind of how that happened. That was um, Mercy Hospital, and they were just very good about about knowing how to get all that connected. But boy, I'll tell you, if if you don't, if you're not in a good hospital system, it is confusing and overwhelming, and you have to know that you have to do those things. Like you, um, there are there are waivers and there are programs out there that will help with this, but um, you may have to start digging around for them. Um, yourself. And um, so that's kind of how that how that happened. And then we did eventually change nursing agencies and just, again, very lucky and blessed. Um, it's rare to get one nurse and have that nurse for years. Um, and it's an uh, it's a weird experience because they're in your house. I mean, they're in your house right. when it has a night nurse and a day nurse. Um, and um, they kind of live with you and become part of your family, which is awkward for both at the beginning. Sure. Um, oh yeah. But we've been really lucky. I mean, Quinn's had Melinda for like four years now, four or five years. And, um, she is, she is absolutely part of our family. She is one of our family. And, um, so that's kind of how that happened. I know that was a long answer to your question, no, but 
but that's how that happened. And then the school um, gave us no pushback when, when Quinn got the trach and we called them to say, Hey, you know, this is a major change. Quinn has a trach and a bunch of equipment. Now um, the school is actually, at least again, here in Missouri, the school is um, required to provide nursing during the day. So um, the school actually play, pays for when school's in session, mm -hmm. the school district actually pays for Quinn's nursing during the day. And then insurance picks it up in all the other times, like on the breaks and, um, but that's probably something um, most parents don't know either, that that is a requirement, at least in Missouri, I can't speak for other states, that they, that they have to provide that um, to your students if, in the public school. Right. Yeah. And it is part of the federal law, like I said, that nursing is an, uh, is a related, is a possible related service. Um, but as like, and you said in your situation, you know, there has to definitely be a medical need um, and it needs to be a documented medical need because I don't want people to think that, yeah. you know, just go get a nurse because that's going to make you feel more comfortable. There yeah, has no, to be that's good point. data to back it up and there has to be, a, you know, a valid reason for that. Yeah. Um, so Quinn is on a trach and now he's on a vent full time too. So that the medical need is through the roof at this point. So no, right. that's why no questions were asked when, you know, we called the school to say, Hey, we have to have a nurse. It, it, there's, there was medical need for sure. Yeah. And I, that's just so heartwarming to hear that, that the school is um, doing that for you and that they're not giving you that pushback and they are welcoming him. Um, as, as I talked about, you know, that we are as educators to educate whoever is in our classroom. You know, and um, so I, I'm so very thankful for that. So we've we've spent a good chunk of talking about Joe and Quinn, mm -hmm. um, but you started off saying that it was your third who yeah. is giving you the most difficult time right Give now. Give me a run so, for my money. Yeah. So tell me, tell us about your third son and why why you think that you're struggling with him in ways that you didn't struggle with your first two. So I, I actually have a very clear and concrete answer to that. So my third <laughs> son Tyson is just turned ten. Um, he is, uh, he is a good, healthy mix of my husband and I, unfortunately, I think he has, he has most of my bad qualities, He's very stubborn, <laughs> very stubborn, like me, very outspoken, like me, loves to negotiate and argue like me. Um, so, uh, there's that there's that we're a lot alike. Um, and then I think the other two things are, I mean, first of all, he's a great kid and I will say that he will, um, He's already displaying because he has siblings with special needs from an early age. He already displayed a huge amount of empathy. So all the, and sympathy. And so all the um, reports that I get from him from school, he never gets in trouble. And the teachers always say the same thing, which is he's the first one to go over and comfort someone if they're upset oh. or, or be a friend to someone or say hi to a new kid. Um, He's the first one, really gentle and sweet. Now he's not that way at home, but he, <laughs> with me, but he is. So I get never get any bad reports on him in school. Um, but so I think there's the too much alike. There is the overcompensation. So again, he is my youngest, but he's my only um, neurotypical child. So I have definitely overcompensated with him from the moment he came out of the womb, because I balanced this uh, this. Um, concern for Joey and Quinn in their lives with this concern for Tyson that he has a as typical of a childhood as his friends have who don't have special need um, family uh, family members so that he's right. not limited um, I so I have overcompensated and spoiled him because of that 
Um, and, and also it's a fight for me not to put a lot of expectation on him because since he's my neurotypical one, selfishly from a parent point of view, I want him to get straight A's and I want to know that he's going to buy me a beach house when I get older and he's going <laughs> to take care of me and my, and his brothers more importantly, like something I worry about yeah. a lot is what happens when Todd and I are no longer on the earth. But I never say that to Tyson because I don't want to put that on, but it's always in my right. head. Like I, oh, yeah. I hope that he will step up and take care of his brothers. Um, so there's that. And then the other part is, um, is, uh, I, in a lot of ways, it's like, he's my first child. I am experiencing all the firsts with my third child. I, he's my only neurotypical one. So whereas other parents have other neurotypical child ahead of their youngest that they have the experience with, and they kind of know what to do, even though every child's different but they know what to do or how to handle something. Or maybe they learn how not to handle something from, I'm the oldest of three kids. So I was the kid that got it the worst. <laughs> and then every kid behind me got it easier. Right. Yeah. Um, but so, so it's, it's a weird dynamic because he's almost like a, 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 an only child, the only neurotypical child and the oldest child all in one. Um, and but so, he's the third. <laughs> but he's the third. Right. And yeah. so, and then there's the balance of making sure we're paying enough attention to the things that are should be important. So we we pay a ton of attention to Quinn and Joe's academic life and their medical needs. And I want to make sure that I I want to make sure that we are we are setting those same expectations with Tyson that grades are important and trying your best and and academically doing what you need to do. But honestly, um we're so worn out from all the other things that um, it's a fight sometimes to push through the school projects and the, you know, sometimes I just want to say you win. I don't want to argue. I don't care if you get an F, but I can't do that. I don't want, so I, I just want to make sure it's a balance between making sure that we're raising him right too. And that yeah. he doesn't grow up. You know, my worst fear I think is that um, he will, I swear I was not going to tear up during this, <laughs> I don't want him to grow up feeling like he didn't get all that he needed because he had two brothers who needed more. So I overcompensate. Yeah. And that is such a huge point. Um, and kind of a, a thought that trickles around in the back of my head that I may write a second book from a sibling's perspective. Um, because a lot of the families that I have in the current book are they have multiple children. And I certainly have no experience um, with having somebody in my family that close, first of all, that even has that, that extra need. But like you said, you know, as a, as a parent trying to, um, our, our friends on, uh, on Friday with Fran, there's one, one person who always watches and she always uses the word balance and that balance, you know, because you're right. There is a lot of attention that has to be paid to especially Quinn, but mm -hmm. to Joe as well. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you don't want Tyson to feel left out. Mm -hmm. um, so I imagine that that would be a pretty heavy burden to mm -hmm. carry around and kudos to you for recognizing it mm -hmm. and for trying to have that, that balance and for letting him um, be, a, be aware of, of what is going on in his life and trying to make it as quote unquote normal as possible. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, and this is also a, a fear that 
I think most of the families that I've spoken to that have a severe child, have a child with severe, that sounded horrible, have a mm -hmm. child with severe special needs um, is a concern. And that is what will happen when you are no longer able to care for them. Um, and to that note, I have gotten together with a lawyer from um, Edwardsville, Illinois, and she, I think, or Collinsville, and she and I are putting together um, a webinar this weekend, this week, and I'm going to post it here in the comments That's that awesome. um, I'm going to talk things about IEPs and kind of, you know, like some, some major key points. And then she's going to talk about legally mm -hmm. how to help your child um, before they turn 18, when they turn 18, I don't know if you have to do it with Joe, but I did. Guardian, I already did. I just okay. went through it. Yeah. I <laughs> a guardianship issue. Um, yeah. And then how, how the best practices for preparing for that time when you're not able to care for them anymore, because um, there's a lot of mistaken information out there. Yeah. Um, and so Ashley Day is her name and it's Thursday at um, Thursday at 6.30 PM central time. And I'm going to, whoops, that didn't work. I was going to share my screen, but I went to the screen first. I, I, Shelly, I, that, that is so important. And that for the parents who are listening, if you can attend that webinar, definitely should. The only reason I knew that I would need to do this with Joey is because my next door neighbor, when we first moved to the area we live in, had an older autistic son, a very similar part of the spectrum to Joey. And she went through it. And now Joey was only like six or seven and her son was 17. And so she shared with me what she had to go. That's the only reason I even really knew that I would need to do this because when he turned 18, obviously you don't want him to be able to sign things if he can't comprehend what he's signing and people will take advantage of that. So, um, yeah. and so that's the only reason I knew to do that. And then, then, um, you know, got the lawyer and, and it was a fairly simple process. I also have to give a shout out to my work and also suggest that parents check into these things. Worldwide technology is where I work. It is literally the best place to work when it comes to culture and benefits. And one of the benefits that they give us is um, legal assistance. So I was able to use the legal assistance program to hire the lawyer to help me with Joe's guardianships. And it cost me very little. Um, and then now, obviously, working with his, if you don't have a regional center or, or a DMH rep, you want to get one because now we'll be working on disability for him, which is going to be important when um, you look at what happens to him when we're no longer here. Another thing I would point out is there are programs available in the state of Missouri, at least. I'm sure that other states have it as well, that are like 401ks, but for special needs kids. Missouri has one called Missouri ABLE, Mo ABLE. And mm -hmm. you can put um, contributions in that, and that is a tax write-off just like a four, uh, 529, which I have for you know the college promise for Tyson. So those are things that I've done over time and learned from other people. Mm -hmm. um, but um, very important. And the last point I'll make to that is to consider if you, if you don't, you know, a lot of people just like get overwhelmed when they start thinking about doing all this. Right. But if you have not had, or even if you have had the hard conversation with the family member of if something happens to me, will you take my child? That is a very different conversation when you have special needs kids. You're putting a very different expectation on that friend or family member. So, so you want to do everything you can. Um, if they are gracious enough and willing to take your child, um, you want to do what you can to make sure that at least financially, 
they don't, it, it's not a big sacrifice because it's going to be right. a big sacrifice in every other way. Right. Yeah. And that's a very good point. And yeah, um, I'm not sure if Illinois, because, you know, Illinois is, <laughs> Illinois. I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what Illinois has, but um, yeah, I know that I've heard about the ABLE program in mm -hmm. Missouri. And I mean, there are special needs trusts and, and those mm -hmm. kinds of things. Special but even, trust, yeah. um, even if you don't go the special needs trust route, mm -hmm. you know, um, look at whatever is available in your state. And also to, um, to touch kind of what you were talking about with WWT, um, an employee assistance program is mm -hmm. probably where that legal advice falls in the umbrella. And my services can also fall under that um, umbrella as well. I'm, I'm trying to let people know that because a lot of companies don't even think about that for their families who need to attend IEP meetings and, and, you know, they're going to need to take time off work for that. Um, but, you know, I can help you reduce the amount of time you need to take off work because of things that we do before we get into the meeting. Um, and so look into your employee assistant programs for my kind of services, um, educational consultant services for the legal advice. Um, and I mean, I, I know there's a lot of companies that have lots of things. And some companies, unfortunately, don't have EAPs. But if your company does offer that, you definitely want to look into that and, and reach and use those resources. Um, they're there for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got about five minutes um, before we start kind of wrapping things up. So um, I'm glad you went back to talking about Joe and the guardianship. And it, so, so what kinds of things... Um, are you thinking about for Joe's future? Yeah, this is an ongoing conversation. Well, I think one thing we just determined is he's going to go to school for another year. So he is 18, um, but the teachers and the principal and I agree that he could use one more year. Um, again, in our state, you, you there's depending on district, they can go up to a certain age. I think Ford Zumwalt is 20. You have to have that conversation every year and that evaluation, but so he's going to do one more year. Um, and mainly the reason I think he's going to do one more year is because the coronavirus really threw a wrench into a lot of the programs that are offered. So one of the things that is that are, are typically offered through the high school is a program called STEP, which is, allows them to work over the summer in the public with help to see mm -hmm. uh, what they can do, right? So he wasn't able to do that because it, because of coronavirus last summer, I think you know, we, we signed him up for it this year and we hope that he will be able to do it this summer. Um, and then he does jobs inside the school, obviously like job boxes, they call it. Um, there are some uh, programs that we're looking at that are offered through the community. There are a few manufacturing environments that hire predominantly special needs workers. Um, so that is a possibility. Um, and then we're talking about you know, with Joey, especially if, if, if we can't get any of those things immediately, what, what are we going to do while we're trying to figure that out? And the reason why is because Joey is not a, a kid that is going to be happy being at home all day, sitting in his room. He is, um, he's a, first of all, he has a fantastic work ethic. He likes to feel useful. He likes to have a purpose and he likes to be around other people somewhat. He does have those same autistic tendencies where he goes to his own space, but he likes a routine and he likes to be busy. So the thought of him just like sitting around the house, I think he would get depressed. So we are looking at 
um, the Autism Center for Adults, which is a uh, a uh, a facility, a day facility, um, kind of like I don't want to call it daycare because it's more than that. In o in the O'Fallon, Missouri community, um, that he potentially could go to, and that would just give him the opportunity to see other people and and um, do things in the community um, while we try to figure that out. So yet to be determined, still a lot of things to do. It's pretty overwhelming, a lot of paperwork um, and a lot of uh, newer conversations in the IEP this year um, and, that, and that were harder to hear than the, the last ones were in terms of uh, his uh, limitations because he has done um, so well for so long and just busted out he was nonverbal until he's seven. And to know him wow. now, you wouldn't really know that. He doesn't have like full conversation, but to go from literally no words to seven at seven to probably a hundred plus words at 18 for him was a huge accomplishment. Absolutely. And, um, and uh, so it's a little harder to hear and, but you have to have those conversations. And so right. there's a job coach now involved in his IEPs now who, who are telling us like, competitive employment means that Joey would um, compete against other people for the job. And he is not ready for that yet. He he does not, he has limited writing ability, has limited mobility. Um, so we need to do something in the, in between, right? To, he may never be ready for competitive employment. That was hard to hear, but there are options. And that those are the things that, you know, we're looking at now for him. Yeah. And, um, Although, by the way, I don't believe that he will be competitively employed at some time. Thank you, because I was—that was kind of I where I was that. going. Was mm -hmm. you know that is a, to to say, I, I really wish that we as educators would get better at our wording. You yeah. know, to say he he may never. I, I would prefer to say something like, you know, we're not sure, yeah. but we think, you know, this is this is this is what we know now. Um, we want to, you know, help him get as far as possible in life. And, the, you know, so we're going to do steps A through F to do that, you know, as, mm -hmm. until we don't have him anymore. But to say, you know, well, he may never, you know, be a competitive employee type person. I don't I don't like to say never. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with with medical advancements and science advancements and and his own development advancement. I mean, we, something could all of a sudden just change that's what ha that's what happened to him at seven like a window just opened and he he flourished um you know the other thing i would say is that i wish and i think it may have been a as a result of the coronavirus that we had started planning and making his iep goals more geared towards um employment than this year i feel like that we put a focus on it this year um and i wish maybe we would have if we if i could go back and do it again i think i would have switched or I would have asked for the goals to be less academic in nature and more focused on task oriented things last year when he was a junior. Um, uh, that is something looking back that, that I would have done differently. I would have advocated a little more for more um, real world planning probably earlier. Again, they, they may do that, but because the coronavirus just screwed everything up. Right. You think we weren't even in school from last March until the end of the year. So we really probably would have started doing that then, but I, I may even have um, started it like at the beginning of the year. So that's, that's just some friendly advice I would share is just like, you know, uh, I don't want to, I know that your podcast is called no limit. So I don't, 
And I, and I do believe that my kids are limitless, but um, there is also a balance again that with that word of um, reality, you, you do have to, sure you do have to balance that with the actual reality of a situation and um, find a happy medium. So there, there's that balance again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally understand what you're saying there. And I, maybe I've never really expressed it that way before, but yeah, it's that, yes, we know what reality is today. Yeah. And you that doesn't mean we, it. yeah, but that doesn't mean yeah. we, we say this is the it's, plateau. It's, yeah, it's never, never going to get beyond this. Yeah. So, you know yeah. Um, that, yeah, this is where we think it is, but we know that it's possible to go over that, right. you know, or it could be possible in the future to go over that. Right. So yeah, to just hit and just to have this as the target mm-hmm. is where I feel is a limit. Um, but I also, I do think a lot, I do think people get there too fast and back to probably the whole point of your podcast, whether it's like you, we said, healthcare workers or in the education space, or even in employment, I expect that's something we'll deal with as Joey gets into the employment world is that there is a tendency to say, okay, this is it. And it's never going to go here because that's easy. That's easy. If you can set this benchmark again, back to the, taking the time to get to really know the person. It's easy yeah. to just say, all right, they're here and they're never going to go beyond here. So we're good. We're right where we need to be. And we we're, we don't have to do anything else. But that's yeah. where they really need the people in their lives, not just their parents, but certainly their parents, to advocate for them. But they're, yeah. it's not just here. That's yeah, easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very, very true. So, um, Amanda, before we before I do all the closing out stuff, um, is there anything else? I just I want to give you the opportunity. This is your chance. Is there anything else you want to say to people? Oh, gosh, there's so much. Shelley. Um, <laughs> I thank you for listening. And thank you, Shelly, for giving me the opportunity to talk about this subject. Um, obviously, we all love to talk about our children. Um, this is obviously near and dear to my heart and not something that I have easily talked about. So every opportunity I get to talk about it makes it a little easier. Um, and, um, and I also want to say thank you to, I, I mentioned it a couple of times, but again, you know, it takes a village to raise a neurotypical child. It takes a, a, several villages to raise special needs families. So my in-laws and my, my father, I mean, they're, they're just, uh, we could not, survive without them. Melinda, Quinn Stainers, you know, Joey's staff at Zoom Alt West, um, the staff at Osman. My my good friend Shane is on the on the on the podcast. I have I've been blessed with some great friends for a long time in my life. And um it's just it's really important. It makes a difference. Even if you don't know it makes a difference, it makes a huge difference. My work, my boss, I mean I work for a company that is you you see they're on uh, uh win all these awards for culture it's a true thing it has made things easier because they are so family first that it has made raising this family easier and doing my job and uh you know my, my boss Sean I mean just just everyone has been so understanding and supportive and I know everybody doesn't get that but it makes a huge difference I just while I have a public forum I just want to let everyone know that right yeah and that's so awesome and it is very important to Okay, I'm trying to post something and it's not letting me. I, I also letting. should mention Quinn's uh, BFFs, Maddie, Shannon. Um, again, back to the where he where he grew up in the uh, Olivia. We grew up in the uh, the home um, daycare. Just kind of followed with us, and we use we have programs that we use where they still come and help us with Quinn, and they they are his best friends. 
That's so awesome. That is so, so awesome. And I just put a link to my Facebook group. If anyone would like to join, it's called No Limits, Changing the World's Perspective of People with Special Needs Through IEPs. So I just want to thank you again, Amanda, for being with me today and sharing the story of you and your boys. And uh, everybody, God bless you and have a great day. Thank you. God bless.